Hi, my name is Gunnar Froh and I'm your host on the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Welcome back to the Wonder Mobility Podcast. Today, I'm very happy to be here with Claire Jones. Claire, welcome. Hi, great to be here. Claire and I met for the first time, I believe, in 2018, around our first summit, first Wonder Mobility Summit. I remember you gave one of the keynotes and you had such an interesting product to present. It was one of the very best keynotes of the day. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you are Chief Commercial Officer already for several years now at What Three Words. And many people in the mobility space that are listening to the podcast also have heard about you already. I'm not sure if everybody understands what the product is, even though in hindsight, when you explain it, it makes it very easy. What's the product that you guys are building? We basically decided it's kind of crazy that people get lost because they show up in the wrong place, the wrong side of a building, or their delivery driver can't find them, or they drive to the wrong place. So we invented a global address system. So we divided the entire world into a grid of three meter squares. Each one is three meters by three meters and has been labeled with an address made of three words from the dictionary. So I could say, hey guys, come and meet me at Apple Banana Spoon. And that refers to a totally unique square somewhere in the world. So every square in the world has got one of these addresses and you use it just like a normal address. So I can use it in my car. I can say navigate to Apple Banana Spoon. I can give it to a delivery driver and they can find my house. Or if I'm socially distant meeting someone in the park for a picnic, I can give a three-word address and we both show up at the right square and not looking around for the right tree. And you've sort of published a lot of use cases of examples from, from daily lives of when that could be useful. At first, everybody thinks, well, I mean, why do I need that? I have an address. I have a physical address. That's easy. But if you think more closely, you have a lot of these examples where it's like, meet me at or drop me off at Messe Munich. And then, you know, what entrance exactly? It's huge over here. Where exactly are we meeting? Where exactly do you want to go? How did you manage to make this more mainstream though, because one thing is to understand the idea. It's a little bit nerdy, but quite intuitive. It's awesome. But then how to make people start using those addresses. I think that's been sort of your big challenge in the last years. And you've made quite a lot of progress on that. How did you manage to popularize that? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, that's been the story of our life for the last few years, how we <laughs> do that. And you're right. It's it's an elegant concept and it makes sense. You know, it's it's like all the power of a GPS coordinate, but you can say it. But the problem we have is exactly what you say, which is changing behavior. Because we've got really used to using street addresses, right? Like that's what we use. We understand when someone says, meet me at 97 Church Road. And we need people to understand that it's normal to say, meet me at Kicks Invite Pencils. And it's a totally, totally different kind of way of thinking. So a lot of what we've done has been to go through partnerships. So for example, when Mercedes first put it in their car, they didn't just put it in the car and ignore it. They told people about it. They did beautiful videos. They got influencers to drive around and explain it. They put it on their social media. And then actually in the last two years, one of the really interesting things that's really kind of boosted, I would say, the awareness of what three words has been emergency services. So there are lots of cases in which emergency services, for whatever reason, can't get current location from your phone automatically. People sort of assume that you can do that. And actually, in lots of cases, it's not, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And the, the emergency services are on the phone. Someone's broken their leg on a mountain and they're saying, I don't know, I'm partway up the mountain. I've been climbing for an hour. I can see like a cliff and an overhang. Do you know where I am? And that's crazy, right? I mean, you can literally save someone's life if you're two minutes earlier. And especially if you're, if you're sending a helicopter, you really want the helicopter to go to the right place. And what we've seen in the last couple of years is increasing adoption in places like the UK, in Germany, Canada, Australia, 
places like this where people have started using what's free words with emergency services. And that's really boosted the popularity of the system. It's helped people understand it. It means people download it on their phone, so they're ready. And then, of course, once you've downloaded it, just in case you get into trouble, you realise you can use it for other things. You can use it to meet your friends. You can use it to order a package or use it with your car. So you have this product that basically yeah, also revolutionizes mobility in a way that you make very precise address. Talking about very precise addresses much more intuitive. You have found some ways to popularize this usage through partnerships. And then everybody, when I asked in the leadership team around here yesterday, well, what's a good question for Claire? And like, what's everybody wondering currently about what the words? The, the, the other part of the puzzle, how to monetize that? Yeah. How, how are you as a company getting something back for all of this value that you're providing in that way? Yeah, it's a great question. It's, it's actually a really interesting space because most people don't realize that addresses are bought and sold addresses already today. So right. not, I'm not talking about what three words, I'm just talking about in life. People don't realize because they, as consumers, we don't pay to use addresses, right? If I enter an address in my Uber app as the destination or free now, I haven't paid to use it. I haven't paid to look up my friend's address. But actually, businesses do pay to turn that address into a GPS coordinate and send it to the driver. So whether you're typing into a ride hailing app, whether you're putting it in your car, actually, businesses like Google, like here, like TomTom, they actually sell address data. And what they sell is basically turning a string of text, 97 Church Road, into a GPS coordinate so a map can read it. Maps can't read words, maps read GPS coordinates. So the whole idea of turning a string of text into a GPS coordinate, which is what we do with addresses, that's an industry that exists today, and it's called a geocode. And basically, businesses like Google and Here and TomTom, they sell these geocodes to companies like Uber and any company that's using addresses, and they make money on that. And ours is exactly the same business model. So although we have an app and that's free and consumers can use it for free and we have a website and that's also free, we want people to use it for free. When businesses build it in, so if you build it into a car, you build it into your logistics chain, at the point at which they use our piece of code to turn that three-word address into a GPS coordinate and send it to a driver or show it on a map, that's when we charge. So it's actually exactly the same business model that currently exists for address data. It's just that most people don't think about it. You just don't realize that behind the scenes, when you use an address, somebody's getting paid for it. And sometimes some of these business models, at least the cliche is these business models that are working behind the scenes, providing, in this sense, very scalable technology into a lot of mobility services around the world, might be the better value proposition or you know, in the long term, maybe more lucrative than a specific operator play. Can you talk a little bit about how that's turning out for you right now? Are you in a kind of early stage of monetization or are you already you know, seeing a lot of traction there? How big is the team at the moment and would you be profitable soon? Or how do we have to imagine sort of the company behind what three words at the moment? Yeah, so I'd say the last kind of two and a half years is when things really took off for us as a company. So actually for quite a long time, we were under 30 people. For quite a while, you know, at the beginning, it's, it's obviously the team building the technology. And then for the first couple of years after that, you're just trying to get the first few customers, get some examples, get set up, make sure that your code works. But in the last two and a half years, that's really been our growth phase. We're now about 120, 130 people, something like this, mm -hmm. mostly in London, but we've got someone in Germany, we've got someone in the US, we've got a team in Asia. Uh, so a few different places around the world. And we are, I mean, at the moment, we're, we're, we're on, on track to be profitable shortly. But the, the key thing for us here is this is about a global standard, right? So the most important thing we can do is get people using what three words in everyday life. Because in the end, 
We know there are billions of transactions of address data in the world. Mm -hmm. And what we want to do is, is turn a percentage of them, not all of them, by no, you know, we don't expect everybody to only ever use what three words, but it's a big enough market that if we can get some percentage of those turned into what three words addresses instead of 97 Church Road, or in the case of logistics as well as 97 Church mm -hmm. Road, that's actually a very, very big market because it's so many transactions in the world. And you mentioned that you were there in the early team, also in the beginning when it was 30 people. I, I think in total you've been more than five years now with the company. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, five years long, last week or two weeks longer, ago. Longer, oh, congratulations. <laughs> longer than most people are kind of managed to focus on, on one thing at a time or like to be committed to, to, to one company. How does that tie into Claire Jones as a person, basically? What, what keeps you motivated about this product and this work? And yeah. can you speak a little bit about why you, why you are hanging around there? For, for, for so long, it was fascinating for you about this, where this feeds maybe into other interests that you have. It's, it's one of those things, it's, it's, it's quite addictive, actually, building something like this, because mm -hmm. nobody's ever done anything like this before, ever. You know, it's, it's not a slight tweak on something that we've seen. This mm -hmm. is a total reimagining of how humans and machines are going to you know, communicate about location, how humans are going to speak to each other about location, how we speak to machines. So it's, a completely fascinating thing to work on every day because mm -hmm. we don't have a playbook. We don't get to look at what someone else has done and go, last time someone launched a global standard for addresses, they did this, we'll do the same. Nope, there's no playbook. So on one level, I'm you know totally obsessed because it's so interesting and so hard and so challenging and we get to try stuff out and it's the first time it's ever been done. So that that's definitely part of it. That's the kind of total fascination of getting to solve these problems together. The other side of it is, I think, It's really fun. It's really interesting. We get to, one of the lovely things about growing a team is you get to choose this group of incredibly clever people, people from around the world, people who have all kinds of different cultural backgrounds. You get to learn from them. You get to learn with them. You know, I mean, five years is a very long time in startup life. I know in corporates, it doesn't feel that long. Five years in startup is, is crazy. It's a totally different kind of journey now from where it was three years ago, let alone five. So that whole kind of growth, but with amazing people, That's one of the reasons startups, I think, are so, and you guys will know, this is why they're so fun and exciting and to be part of because you get around, get to be around brilliant people. And I think the final thing for me is the scale of the impact. So what three words, I mean, I talk about cars and pizzas and things like this, and these are absolutely important. I don't want people to get cold pizza and I'd like people to drive their car to the right place. But what three words has a much bigger impact than that, which is that if you look at lots of places in the world, like refugee camps or informal settlements or just very rural parts of lots of different countries, there are lots of places where people actually have no address at all. This isn't about the address getting you to the right door. There are places where there's literally no address. And if you think about a refugee camp, it's really important in a refugee camp that you can visit the home, that you might be able to give vaccinations, that you might be able to understand health information about the people who live there. And if they can't communicate about where they live, that's a real issue for them. And it can be, it can be a matter of life and death in lots of cases. So seeing what three words applied in those contexts is actually part of this much bigger vision. So it's not just about getting taxis to the right place, which of course it is, partly. It's also about giving people an address who really, really need it. And that is a thing that can get you out of bed, even if it's been really hard. And, you know, pre-COVID in a world in which I was getting up at 3 a.m. to get on yet another plane, knowing that if what three words succeeds, people in the world who've never had an address will be able to use it. That's a really powerful motivator. How did this year change for you in terms of, maybe the business, but also personally, you mentioned, okay, there's less travel involved, but did 
COVID unlock some new opportunities also for you as a business or was it all sort of firefighting and difficult? Yeah, it was, it's been a really, a really strange year because it's actually been a really positive year for the business in lots of ways, which we wouldn't have predicted. And I think if you talk to us in March or April, we were quite worried. I mean, I certainly felt worried and I thought, because we're big in mobility, right? People were being told to stay at home. <laughs> so what three words is used when people go outside, they go to parks, they go driving, they go to meetings, and suddenly people are staying at home. We also are quite big in car world. And in, in early this year, cars, car companies literally shut down production in some cases. And so you can imagine we had this kind of worry about what that would mean for the business. And what happened in April, end of March, beginning of April, we actually ended up pulling off most of our team who were working on mobility and putting them onto logistics. Because that was one where we went, okay, if that's going to have a bit of a dip, what will happen to logistics? And of course, what happened to logistics is it, it went up in every way. You know, suddenly the number of deliveries went up, but also the need to go to the right door became more important. So before, contactless delivery wasn't really much of a thing. Some places would offer it if you were out or something, like you leave it in a safe place. But suddenly we were in a world in which people said, I do not want to leave my house to find a lost driver. I don't want to have to walk around the street trying to tell them where I am. And so that actually meant that What Three Words had this huge, I mean, we had something like a thousand percent increase or something ridiculous in our logistics and e-commerce adoption in the first few months of lockdown. And so now we're in the situation where actually in lots of countries, mobility is picking up, but we've also built this really significant logistics stream, which I'm not sure we'd have done quite so quickly and we wouldn't have had quite as much uptake without COVID. So it's been a very strange thing where bits mm. went down and, and actually there was this huge opportunity as well. So we're very certainly feeling very lucky on that front. Yeah, totally. I think that's what many people um, experience, kind of this mix of your threats and opportunities at the same time. Yes. And what that translates into it towards the end of the year, I think in many cases, is just exhaustion. Yes. <laughs> Basically, like now it's five weeks to Christmas. So ready <laughs> when this is over. But um, it's very good to hear that you were able to also benefit in this way. How do you look at the industry overall? You mentioned there were now parts of it that are really affected. It's also affecting you indirectly and then others that are booming in logistics. You've been very much, I would say, on the forefront um, for what we were and out there communicating, selling, presenting at conferences and so on, interacting with a lot of people. What's something in the last maybe two, three years that surprised you in, in the mobility industry that we work in? So basically some things everybody saw coming, maybe everybody knew there's bird in the US, so next year we'll be in Europe. But what's something that you find fascinating in the industry beyond what we were that's happening at the moment? For me, it's about voice. So... I'm I'm really fascinated by voice. I, I I use voice all the time myself. I have a smartwatch I talk to. I have an Alexa I talk to. I have a phone I talk to. And what's been really surprising to me is that, number one, we haven't adopted voice as quickly as I'd have guessed. I, I love it. And I, I actually would have predicted this would be much more widespread than it has been. And then going to China and seeing that in China, they have adopted voice. So this is a totally different thing. You, if, if you spend time in uh, Beijing for a week and you come back to the UK, suddenly you're the person in the UK doing voice notes and voice, you know, voice dictation and everyone looks at you like you're crazy. And in, in China, that doesn't happen. It, people are communicating through voice with machines all the time. And, you know, some of it's about navigation in cars and voice is just used a lot more. But it's also, you know, if I'm talking, if I ask someone for directions and they didn't speak English, they would pick out their device and it would do live translation from my voice and their voice and it would speak to us. And it, it's that kind of adoption of voice that we just don't have here in, in, in the West, I think, to the same level in mobility. And I think it's a real opportunity. And in China, they've really run with it and they've made sure their voice technology works really well. 
And it's a bit of a self-fulfilling thing, right? Because the more data you have, the better you can teach your voice engines to, to understand more and do better and, 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 you know, fix errors. Whereas we're behind a bit here. So I think that's going to be really interesting in the next two or three years, seeing, you know, the work Alexa and Siri, that the work that they're doing, if we can catch up and end up in a place, in a place like China where they, voice is normal and it's a natural part of our mobility journeys and we're not getting our phones out of our pocket and typing into them and sticking them on a dashboard, which seems very antiquated to me. Totally. I think it's a very fascinating point and not a not a very new technology on the one hand, but you're you're right that adoption isn't there. And I'm not sure if it's because of, you know, missing product functionality or more just consumer behavior basically, sticking to what we're used to. I think it's both. I think I think part of the problem is you, you don't you only need to try something a couple of times to decide whether or not you like it. And the problem we have is when we haven't designed intuitive voice experiences, people can try it a few times and then give up. So if you think about voice in the car, often what you'll oh, see yeah. is people will use voice to turn up the heating, turn down the heating, turn on the radio, turn off the radio, but they don't use it for the more complex commands. And that might be because the first time they did it, it didn't work. And they feel frustrated and then they stop trying. And so it's actually, this is why it matters so much at your design stage that you have to get it right because you only have quite a short attention span from your consumer. And if, as soon as they've decided it doesn't work, it's going to be really hard to get them to try again. So you really need to, I think this is the thing we have to think about is designing intuitive experiences in mobility and with voice early mm. so that people mm -hmm. trust it and they use it and they don't give up. What's a product and adaptation that you were surprised how fast that came, that went faster than expected? Is it always the story that we are more slow in Europe than elsewhere or other examples where you, you feel like European cities or products are ahead of the curve at the moment? Ah, good question. No, I'm, I mean, there, there are lots of there are lots of things that we do very well here in Europe. And, and I think Germany is a great example where you have a lot of mobility innovation. I think one of the things that I actually think has been wonderful in Europe, and certainly in contrast to places, maybe the other side of the Atlantic, has been the way that corporates work with startups and the way they're mm -hmm. happy to bring stuff in. And I know this has been a lot of work. And, and I think Daimler mm -hmm. being a great example of leading the way on that, of having a real top down and bottom up. But mm -hmm. we do care about innovation. We're not just going to assume we can build everything in house. We're going to bring innovators in, we're going to invest in the companies, we're going to take their innovations into the cars. So that I think has been great. And I think you can see this. I think you look at the cars on the road now and you look at the mobility apps that people are using. These are very influenced, even if they're built by corporates, very influenced by features and products that have come through startups and through innovation. And I think we're very lucky in Europe that we have actually quite a supportive investor ecosystem and that we have very supportive corporate investment as well. When you talk about the ecosystem here, and actually you're very positive, both about sort of relationships to corporates, but also a growing investor ecosystem, do you see that gap that I think is maybe fair to say that it exists between European tech hubs and, well, of course, Silicon Valley on the one hand, but also Beijing? Do you see that widening or closing more at the moment? Good question. I don't, I'm, I'd love to answer that having had six months of traveling, which I've not been able to do. Normally, oh, yeah. I feel like I'm much more plugged in. Yeah. I think, I don't know. And certainly, certainly the speed in somewhere like Beijing can feel much more extreme. You can feel like the speed at which they'll take in software 
um, and try stuff. And I think someone, one of one of our partners in China was telling me that there's this kind of 80% ready rule in, in a lot of Chinese companies that you'll get it out in the market when it's 80% ready because it's software, you can fix it. You don't have to wait. Whereas I think in some ways here in, in the West, we're a bit more conservative sometimes and particularly in, in mobility and OEMs where we're having to be conservative for a long time before, you know, for safety reasons. So I think there is, there is a gap. I, I, I would say in my experience, it's closing in that I think we're being, there's a lot happening very quickly in Europe, I would say certainly, and, and in the US, but in, in Europe where there is a cultural shift. And actually this year, I think there's been even more. I think, I mean, a year ago, I was on planes all the time, you know, you've seen, I used to fly around the world. And actually now in the last six months, we have had so many client conversations over Zoom, over Hangouts, over Microsoft Teams, and we've signed deals with people we've never met in real life. And that has changed. And I think that has meant that our access to market, because before we were restrained by how many people we had in the team and how many countries we could send them to, right? There's only so many round the world trips you can do in a month. And now we're a lot less constrained. So I think that's going to be a really interesting thing in closing that gap is access to the world from your living room or from your office that we're going to have because big companies have now accepted you can do stuff over Zoom. You can do stuff over Hangouts. You can sign a contract with a person you've only ever seen virtually. And that's a big shift. I agree. That's very fascinating. I think that acceptance of virtual you know, coordination meetings and so on, that's really accelerating from whatever investment banks are saying this, that they now do more deals in a month because you know their teams can move faster to you know, software companies like us who are selling. And I, I think that probably we are already, us being in Germany, you guys are in the UK mainly, in sort of more fortunate locations, but there will be teams in many other places around the world for whom that sort of narrowing of the gap makes even a much bigger difference. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's going to be fascinating to see if that stays. Similarly, also, I wanted to ask you about whether something else stays, which is, we used to think that we were on this track, from my point of view, kind of like up and to the right in mobility towards, let's say, more appropriate vehicles for, let's say, light electric vehicles in cities, if that's possible, or more sharing of assets and so on. Somehow more, not yet sustainable, but at least more efficient usage of, of resources in mobility. And public transportation is suffering, used car sales are through the roof, basically used car prices have appreciated. Meanwhile, the corporates that you also mentioned before sometimes are under pressure, are cutting back their own investments into shared mobility and other sort of future oriented topics. So is this sort of a train that's running anyhow, only now it's slowed down a bit or can the whole train also go backwards? Yeah, I, I mean, we'll see. I think I'm an optimist. So I believe that that we can speed it up again. I think this is a blip in this trend. And the trend, I think the trend towards sharing is a much broader trend than just in mobility. This is a world in which, honestly, I have not really thought I will buy a car. I don't have a car. I don't really think I will get one. And although we've certainly had a bit of a re rethink in the last year when people have been nervous of public transport and wanted to buy cars and things like that, actually, if you live in a city, there are so many reasons not to buy a car and there are so many reasons to join one of the car sharing schemes. I do think that the broader trend is is in the right direction. I don't think we're going to go too far backwards. But I also think it relies on active choices by cities. A moment like this, when everything has changed, feels like a chance to make brave decisions. 
I think. And and I can see this in some cities. You know, I was just looking at, at some pictures from Barcelona where they've pedestrianized a load of extra streets. And these are things that they could be temporary, but they could also be permanent. And they could be a time for us to make decisions about what kinds of places we want to live in and what kind of mobility we want to prioritize. Do we want to try, prioritize cycling and pedestrians and scooters or do we want to prioritize cars in the city? And so although I, I, I totally agree that there's been a, a, a slowing down, I believe that the longer term trend is towards a healthier, more sustainable, more sharing focused way of moving. And I think we have a, actually a good opportunity right now to make good decisions about the cities we live in and how we how we create more sustainable systems in them. I think that's, I totally agree. I think it's super interesting for me also to try and realize that the whole setup that exists at the moment is actually There has been a choice of the past in a way. And it's it's not like a natural evolution to go one way or another. It's just all a choice. Yes. In many ways, it comes down to whatever the majority choice is or the, the choice of the loudest group in the in the city or in the country. Basically a political choice. And fascinating to see how even some very big cities kind of like reimagining what their public spaces could look like. Extremely interesting because sometimes it seems like there was not really a value placed on those before. Like what you expect to get out of this, you know, public space that is there. Is it enough to give that away for more or less free parking to whoever wants, whoever is there first in a way? Yeah. Or is there a more conscious plan behind it? I think, I think that's something that our industry On the one hand, you talk about this element of making navigation easier. Others are talking about like vehicle choices, better vehicles maybe are used in different ways and stuff. But in the end of the day, it's going to yeah, change the the experience of our kids in cities, for example, how how desirable or not it is even to live in a city, I think. And where right now or like in the past, it was typically not desirable once you once you go beyond like focusing on your maybe you know, career or something at, at some stage in life, where, where is quality of life? It used to be outside of the cities because it's actually unhealthy there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that the, the change in what we value, I mean, I, I used to spend a lot of time not in my own city and the last six months I've, I've hugely valued the green spaces near my house and I hugely value the pedestrianized areas and I think it will have taught us as the consumers to value the shared spaces more than we ever really, I think, knew we, that we would in the coming years. To what extent do you see an opening for, maybe a responsibility, but for, for you and for the company you represent to, for example, talk about these issues or have influence when it comes to um, maybe issues of sustainability, but also issues of maybe equal opportunities, like you mentioned, with people in different locations. Is that something that you can sort of, that... That happens because the product is so, so genius that this is a welcome side effect? Or or is that something that you guys are sometimes picking up and taking a little detour or taking extra time to talk about this or making something possible that isn't sort of for the next quarterly goals? Yeah, I, I think it's a really important question. How do you think about this? And we we make active choices about things. So for example, we don't charge emergency services to use what three words. And that's a really clear, and for me, that feels like an easy decision, right, for us as a leadership team and as a company, because we don't want somebody to struggle to reach someone who's in an accident because they didn't pay their bill that month, right? That That's not a world you want to create. So, but these are active choices, right? You have to make active choices about how you're 
business is used and how it's applied in the world. That's one example. Another example, I would say that we benefit from being small because you're able to listen to voices. So for example, one of my colleagues, Gigi, she runs our accessibility work. And she is incredibly passionate about how what three words can be used to help people find the right entrance. So if you're if you're in a wheelchair, it really matters that you show up the right side of the building. You shouldn't show up the wrong side of the building and there's steps and you can't even get into the building. And it's really important that you find your way around. And similarly, if you're blind and you can't see, it becomes really important that you can find the door and that, because you can't just look around, right? If I'm slightly in the wrong place, I look around and I say, oh yeah, the door is there. That doesn't work if you're blind. And Gigi really cares about this. And because it's a small company, she can actually run with that. So she and one of our colleagues, Nikki, and the product team, this is a project for them and, and quite a few others. And they're really interested in making our app accessible for people who are blind, making sure that it works in the best way for voice so somebody can speak instead of type. All those kinds of product decisions. But those are active choices, right? It's an active choice to care about it as a company. And it's an active choice to listen to voices. So in that case, my colleague Mm. Gigi, she says this is important. And it's our responsibility to listen to that and respond to it. But it doesn't happen by default. You know, these are things that I think as a company, you have to plan. You have to plan to have a social impact. You have to plan to have an environmental impact. And you have to, you know, constantly hold yourselves to account and ask, are we doing this right should we be doing this more? You know, Rachel, our, our, um, one of our, our management team, she, she's our, our general counsel and she does a lot of our work around this and she helps us ask these questions and think about them and say, what are, what are the right moral and ethical things here that we, we want our technology to do in the world and how does that relate to the business model and how much should we be doing for free and all of those kinds of conversations. So they feel important and they feel active. It doesn't just happen by accident. Awesome. Wow, that's pretty cool to hear. What would... After this year being sort of a mixed bag, let's say you described some threats, some opportunities, what would a great 2021 look like and what would have to maybe happen for that to to become true for you and for, for the company? So I would really like to see some of the promise of what we've done in logistics really taking off. So we've we've started logistics in a real, a very serious way this year. And I'd love to see that you know, going further and, and and replicating. So for example, Hermes, which is one of the biggest delivery companies in Europe, they adopted What Three Words and seeing that be replicated across others, uh, sharing with the world some of our other contracts that we've done, which we can't talk about till next year, that's going to be big. But basically seeing a lot of the work we've done this, this year come into reality next year and, and seeing that take off. And then my hope is that if if things go well with vaccines and so on, people get out there in the world again. And I hope that we'll see a real resurgence in what through words being used to explore and have adventures and go to cities and find the best vegan restaurant in Tokyo and all of those things that people used to use what through words for. I hope that will have a wonderful resurgence once people are allowed to explore the world again. I hope. Awesome. Well, it's so nice to catch up with you again. And it's good to see that you really made a lot out of even this difficult year. And all the best for the coming weeks. Thank you. Lovely to spend some time with you again. Thanks a lot.